G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Christian psychiatrist Carl Menninger once said that if he could convince his patients that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them would immediately be free to walk out of the psychiatric hospital. Now, if this is true, the implications are disturbing to say the least. It would suggest that each day untold millions are suffering mental anguish on account of unresolved guilt. Of course, not all of these end up in psychiatric wards. Many have learned coping mechanisms to deal with their sense of guilt. But what is even more shocking is that those who work in mental institutions tell us that a disproportionate number of patients who are tormented by guilt classify themselves as Bible-believing Christians. How can this be? The gospel is the most powerful message of forgiveness. Those who believe in Jesus Christ and his substitutionary death upon the cross are totally and eternally forgiven all their sins, past, present and future. They stand righteous in the sight of God. What better news could there be than this? It might just be that they're not hearing that message. This is Set Free with Ken Legg. And thank you for joining us this week. An important subject, forgiveness. And as Ken has said, forgiveness is the vital ingredient of the good news of the gospel message. Anyone who shares the gospel, whether it's a preacher or any Christian who is witness to another person, makes a glorious announcement that if we will just believe in what Jesus did on the cross, we'll be totally forgiven of all of our sin, past, present and future. And Ken, what you seem to be saying is that once a person becomes a Christian, they can come back under the load of guilt again, even though they are forgiven. Why is that? I think that many Christians, even those in leadership, struggle with the finality, the completeness and the unconditional nature of God's forgiveness. Uh, As you say, it's the very essence of the gospel, and the gospel means good news. Now, for some, it's too good to be true. Um, And we're tempted to think that if we preach raw forgiveness with no strings attached, then people will just go wild, you know, they'll take advantage Mm. and sin more. Mm. So do you think we set limits on what God will forgive just in case people kind of get carried away like that? Well, I think that's an interesting term you've used there because I have actually heard that word used more than once in the context of forgiveness. For example, people say things like there's a limit to what God will forgive or there comes a time when God's patience with people runs out. Now you hear this especially when the subject of eternal security is being discussed. The argument is made that there comes a point when a believer can lose their salvation. Now I've heard this on many occasions but no one has ever been able to tell me at what point Mm. That person has lost their salvation, you know. Mm. What are the limits of God's patience and his forgiveness? Well, it would seem from Scripture that uh, he is actually quite patient. (laughs) When you look at some of the people who are the greats in the faith, what they did. Yeah, I mean, you know, like some people say, well, if you just keep on forgiving people, they'll, they'll do things like commit adultery and God can't forgive that and... My response is, well, you mean like David? (laughs) Mm. Uh, He committed adultery, and we're not in any way minimizing that or excusing that, but 
God forgave him. We know that. What about Moses? He committed murder. Mm. And God not only forgave him, he became like the statesman for the whole nation of Israel. Then, of course, the prodigal son is another good example. Yes. You know, he went off into the far country and uh, just lived it up. Yeah, spent a lot. Uh, spent a lot. But uh, his father welcomed him back, all was forgiven. Mm. And, of course, that is a picture of God. Jesus told that story to reflect the heart of the Father. Phil, there's a, a beautiful illustration in the teaching on the tabernacle. You know, every piece of furniture is mentioned three-dimensionally, uh, the length, the breadth, the height, or the depth, if you like. Uh, but the mercy seat, we only read the length and the breadth. No record of how high it is or how deep it is. Now, many commentators believe that that is a deliberate omission by the Holy Spirit because it illustrates the fact of what the psalmist says, you know, um, as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards us. It's infinite. We cannot come to the end of the mercy of God. But I suppose, Ken, someone could reply, you know, if that's the case, I'll just go ahead and commit adultery or murder or backslide like the prodigal son and it doesn't matter. I know what you mean, Phil. Um, in fact, pastors have said to me, I, I couldn't teach this limitless forgiveness to people. They they just couldn't handle it. They'd, they'd run wild. Now, in response to that... Let me say three things. First of all, as a Bible teacher, I can't choose what I teach on the basis of what I think others might do with it. Mm. Um, God has given me a message uh, to preach, and I've got to be faithful in giving that message and leave the results to God. God is at work in people's hearts. But secondly, when people hear the depth of God's love and grace, it actually has the opposite effect. Mm. It doesn't make them, you know, go and run wild. It actually melts their hearts and makes them love God more. You know, the Bible says that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance, uh, not the wrath of God, actually, not scaring people and frightening them, but just get them getting a revelation of how deep is God's love towards us. And people act out of uh, that understanding rather than the big stick kind of approach. Yeah, that's right. And the other thing that I would say, the third thing is this, that our forgiveness of others must reflect God's forgiveness of us. Now, Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So we're to forgive others in exactly the same way that we've been forgiven. Now, you remember when Peter said, Lord, how often shall I forgive, shall I forgive my brother? Seven times in a day? He thought he was doing well. You know, Jesus mm-hmm. said, no, I didn't say seven times, but try 70 times seven. You know, if you're going to forgive seven times, you'll be counting down. But <laughs> 70 times seven is kind of like, hey, just keep forgiving because that's how we have been forgiven. You know, where sin abounds in our lives, God's grace yep. abounds much Even more. Even more. Yeah. yeah. I guess a verse we're all familiar with, uh, and we've all had to quote it to others many times in our own lives, uh, is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Yeah, assurance of salvation is as much a part of the ministry of Jesus as was his dying for our sins. He wants us to be assured that we're forgiven. He doesn't want us to walk around with sin consciousness, but that overwhelming sense that we're righteous in the sight of God. And the Bible says that he rose again for our justification and is now seated at God's right hand as our advocate. So when you or I as a believer are accused, we never have to defend ourselves because we've got someone who does that for us. He does our defending for us, our mm. great high priest. Uh, he stands up as our defense, if you like. It's interesting. You don't hear a lot of teaching about Jesus as our great high priest. No, that's right. Um, but the Bible does speak a lot about it. For example, John says, you know, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ the righteous. Uh, There are many passages actually in the New Testament epistles that speak about this aspect of his ministry, though it's, as you say, not often taught. Paul spoke about it in his letter to the Romans. He said, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That's a good question. (laughs) It's almost like a challenge. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Then he goes on, it is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Then he says, it is Christ who died, furthermore is also risen, and is even at the right hand of God, also making intercession for us. Now, that's pretty cool when you think about it, that Jesus is interceding to the Father on our behalf. Yeah. It's, It's a constant thing as well because it says that he's seated, at, at, at God's right hand. Now, you only sit down when the job is done. That's why there was no seat in the Old Testament tabernacle because mm. they had to keep on offering sacrifices. He offered one sacrifice once for all by which we were perfected forever. Then he sat down at the right hand of God making intercession for us. What does that mean? Well, it means that his blood, which he took into the holy place, is bearing testimony to our righteousness before God. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. There was a time, Phil, when he stood. You remember the Bible says that when Stephen was being stoned, he said, I saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father in in heaven. And so Jesus actually stood. And so it's like Jesus is seated bearing testimony to our righteousness before the Father. But we have people that accuse us. We have people that attack us and and they try to bring us under condemnation. Now, Mm. when that happens, Jesus stands, as it were, to be our defense and to be our advocates and to to represent us at that time. What a beautiful thought that is. Some help with something we all struggle with at times, forgiveness. And we'll continue our conversation tomorrow. Until then, remember, you don't have to carry that baggage. God wants you to be set free. For books, DVDs, small group studies and other resources from Ken Legg, including the book What's Eating You, which features topics from today's message, visit the Vision Christian store at vision.org.au. That's vision.org.au.